0: When my wife ends up in the hospital, that means you've made a grave mistake.
1: I didn't mean for anyone else to get hurt. I just wanted you to suffer. Well, clearly,
0: Chloe gets her brazenness from her mother's side. But as meddlesome as she can be, I've actually come to admire her. That's what makes this so difficult.
1: You stay away from my daughter.
0: Oh, it's far too late for that.
1: Somebody save me indeed! Hello and welcome to Farm to Fable, a Smallville rewatch fancast. I am your forever host, Michael, and I'm also the host of the RPG Academy podcast, where I talk mostly about role-playing games, but all tabletop gaming in general. I also organize a three-day gaming convention held in Dayton, Ohio, each November. Before we get started, please be advised that Farm to Fable may include adult language and reference adult behavior please consider us PG-13 in regards to content acceptability for your young ones. Also, this is your spoiler warning. While we will focus on each episode week to week, our discussions may and likely will reference the entire series run and the wider Superman mythos. You can email our show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, or questions. Please follow us on Twitter at farm 2 fable and join our Facebook group page at Smallville Farm to Fable. With all of that out of the way, let's meet today's co-host.
0: Hi, I'm Lee Wanika, one of the three co-hosts of Tabletop Journeys, and a budding freelance writer, and I'm, I've been a longtime fan of the RPG Academy. We've been a podcast family for probably going on two and a half, three years now. Michael and I, and uh, as far as my um, superhero credit, I've been a comic book collector since I was four years old. When I walked into my first tobacco shop and rolled over to the back corner and turned the little metal turnstile and found comic books. And uh, Superman has always been my number one or two favorite. It varied from time to time, but always a big fan so we're going back to the 70s. I've been through all those years, but when he went into the uh, John Byrne rebirth in 86, man, that's when I was all in on Superman. Like, I bought gear. I mean, I attended one of the funerals for, for a friend uh, conventions uh, with the armband and that. And, and actually, during that particular convention, I was at a writer's table because I was actually scripting comic books at the time. I sat in the writer's room with John Byrne for like the entire day. So I am all in on Superman.
1: I actually, I have to say that uh, we've we've podcasted together now, I'm gonna say six, seven times between my show, your show, and then this show. Uh, This is the first time I've ever seen you not in a blue Superman shirt.
0: Oddly, it's because I'm saving it for a catacomb and if I wore it tonight, <laughs> I wouldn't actually be able to bring it with me to a catacon. And oddly, and I have 3 of them actually. I have 3 Superman shirts. I have the one that I bought the night of Superman Returns, which was actually the same that morning after I watched it cuz I went to the midnight show- showing. So the same day was the day that my youngest son was born. So I was nice. in that Superman shirt when I first held my youngest son in my arms. Uh, I still have that shirt. It's a little tattered, and I still wear it and love it. <laughs> I have a replacement shirt for that that I wear out for slightly more formal occasions. And then I have the uh, black Superman shirt that I wear. Again, going back to the uh, Superman friend for a funeral and the reign of the Superman days. So I, uh, yes. those are the ones I rock. I also have a, one of those distressed uh, Superman T-shirts with the long sleeve uh, thing mm. all attached like Sheldon. Wears on the Big Bang Theory, so I've got a oh, bunch yeah. of Superman stuff
2: that I wear.
1: I'm actually going to be wearing one Saturday. We uh, we have a costume contest for a catacon, and I'm going as Clark Kent. So I have like a white button up. I'm like nice. my blue Superman shirt underneath. I got a, a Clark Kent Daily Bugle or Daily Bu- Daily Planet press pass thing. Yeah, and so I'm basically going as Clark Kent uh, with the Superman shirt slightly open underneath.
0: If I can buy enough tinfoil in Dayton, Ohio, I could wrap myself up fashion some kind of a hammer and I'll wear my black Superman shirt and I'll go with steel. How would that feel?
1: I mean, it will be better than that movie.
0: I, I speak not of this horrible thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It does not exist. I'm, I'm, going with, yes. uh, I'm going with, uh, I'm going with John from the uh, Lois and Clark show. That's,
2: that's where fair, I'm at. Go. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into the show here. I, I think you're a great guest to have for this one. Uh, last week Colin asked for our pass the torch question, if you could book a main event of Cage Fight between any two DC Comics characters, who would it be? Uh, and then he laid out, you know, like there's the obvious one, Superman Dark Side or Superman uh, Doomsday. There's also like Batman or Superman. But he, he was hoping that people might go a little bit off the beaten path. But it's your choice. You can pick any two DC characters, heroes, builds, and doesn't matter. Have them face off for a cage match. Who are you picking?
0: I want Nightwing and the Red Hood. Mm. And it's not that it hasn't happened, but that's I I, I want a definitive one. And I I almost want it not written by human hand. I almost want both characters and all that information. I'm I'm not huge on AI, but the only way I can think it can be done without human bias really would be to have the actual stories fed into a fresh AI that knows nothing else other than the history of those comics and then puts those two characters based on what it read from just the comics Mm -hmm. and then match those two up because i i personally think dick Racing wins all day but i will admit that's a tighter fight than i would like it to be uh Mm, and so i think that would be the that would be the match i'd want to see but i am dick Racing all day nightwing is my number one superhero when i say clark has always been one or two Honestly, it's a, its always pretty much behind Dick Grayson, and that's more because of an age thing. I got into comics when I was very young. Dick Grayson was young. I matured through Teen Titans with Dick Grayson, so that's—that's—that's my—that's my guy.
1: So if you're not already aware, I need to get you in touch with Mr. Rich Howard from the Whelmed podcast, but we will talk more about that off the air. Okay. Now, a little bit of behind the scenes here. We, we, and I say we, I canceled this show like three times because I just had, Catacomb is this weekend. We're recording this on Wednesday. I leave tomorrow morning for a Catacomb. This is the busiest time of my year. And I just kept getting overwhelmed and you were very kind and gracious and you allowed me to keep canceling on you. But that means I've had a lot of time to think about this. My initial thought is I love Plastic Man for the absurdity. And I thought, who could a Plastic Man fight that would just be like a fun fight? And I think the Atom would be a good choice because I think the shrieking powers of the Atom would be something that would be Plastic Man would have a hard time overcoming. Mm. But ultimately, with all that time, my main event came down to Mr. Missile Plitilic against Doctor Fate, and I mean a fully powered Doctor Fate, yeah. not fighting against a, a another personality, yeah. Naboo versus Mister Mixel Uh because I think Chaos versus Order. I mean, who doesn't want to see that fight, right? Yeah, I I think
0: that's. I like your undercard. I like your undercard a lot, and but that main event, y'all better get bring your popcorn because we're sitting down for a <laughs> moment.
2: <laughs> it's going to be a while.
0: Yeah, that's going to take some time. And I'm thinking if they filmed it in the way they did Young Justice and some of those Doctor Fate and some of those magic episodes, you know, yeah. bopping through realms and all the different odd things or whatever, man that would be amazing to watch. Like that mm-hmm. that that could be done so well and so gripping.
1: That was part of where it came from was the Doctor Fate versus Damian fight from yep. Young Justice, but in that case, uh Doctor Fate was not fully powered because he was fighting against the spoilers, but there was some, there was some other personalities in the mix and it made it a little bit awkward. And I'm just not a fan of Damien. I know he fits the show, but I think Mr. Mitchell Pellick would be a more interesting uh, foil. Absolutely. So with that out of the way, we're now going to grab a copy of this week's Daily Planet, check the bylines and see who brought us this episode.
0: I mean, that's a story that could land you a byline on the front page of the Daily Planet.
1: So we're here today for Season 6, Episode 18, Progeny. The date of original airing was April 19th, 2007. The character of Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster and Smallville, was created by Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. The writer this week is Genevieve Sparling.
0: And Terrence O'Hara at, and his final directorial effort for Smallville.
1: So now we're going to open our Smallville yearbook and see who our notable guest stars are.
0: Get me a yearbook. And that includes the amazing Linda Carter as Moira Sullivan and Rowan Curtis as a young Chloe Sullivan.
1: Uh, and we also have Juan Redlinger as Lowell Wilson. And that's pretty much it this week. There's a couple other people that come in and out. But I think those are the two that are most important. Uh, so now, Wanika, are you ready to enter the Fortress of Solitude, the repository for all the knowledge of the known universe as collected by the Kryptonians, to get a glimpse of where we came from as well as where we may be going?
2: This is the Fortress Clark told me about.
0: I can't lift the key, but I can certainly walk through the keyhole. After Lex discovers that Chloe's mother, Moira, has the power to control meteor freaks, he develops a drug to wake her from her catatomic state in an asylum. He then threatens to kill Chloe unless Moira uses her power to bring back an escape 33.1 patient.
1: And that's great and all, but it doesn't tell us what we really need to know. So let's examine some additional crystals and ask the important questions. Preliminary findings suggest that the crystal responds at a molecular level to sonic vibrations. This frequency generator may be the key to telling you what you want to know. Does this episode feature a vehicle crashed or otherwise destroyed? No. Does this episode feature someone falling unconscious for any reason? Yes. This might actually have be the new winner. I didn't count it, but there are so many unconsciousnesses this week. It's, it yeah, is unreal. Yeah, there's
0: more than a couple.
1: <laughs> yeah. Does this episode feature someone in a hospital bed? Yes. Does this episode feature Clark telling or showing someone besides his forever crush Lana or the destined love of his life, Lois Lane, his powers and abilities? Yes. Follow-up, does that person die, lose their memory, or otherwise become, become unable to share this knowledge, or do they become a confidant of Clark? Uh, a little bit on the unknown side. Yeah, we, we just literally don't know. Does this episode feature Clark using his powers irresponsibly? Yes. Does Clark casually break and enter a business or residence?
0: <laughs> oh, yes, he does.
1: <laughs> does this episode feature a moment where a character travels a seemingly long way to have a short conversation and then leave? As always on Smallville, yes. Does this episode feature a conversation between two people where one person has their back to the other and is weirdly talking over their shoulder? Yes. Was the person talking weirdly over their shoulder? Lex? Oddly, no. This time it was Moira. Does this episode feature a particularly thirsty moment for one or more of our characters? No, not really. Does this episode feature a cheeky bit of dialogue that hints at or directly references the wider Superman mythos? No. Does this episode feature a moment with a needle drop wherein a contemporary song perfectly sums up a character's thoughts and or desires?
0: No, and it makes me sad because you know I'm a big fan of the needle drop.
1: Uh, we're going to talk about that. There's, there's some oddity <laughs> with this one, but I, it's still a no. And then finally, does this episode feature a classic Smallville leap of logic wherein the characters jump to a correct con- conclusion around who or what is behind some mysterious event or otherwise solves a problem with little to no actual information to base such conclusions? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. So now that we have a clearer roadmap of where we're going, let's use our X-ray vision and look closely at this week's episode. So in our cold open, we start with a previously on, uh, which does kind of recount a lot of the information that has happened over the last few weeks, and it's very important. But once that is out of the way, we open on a title card uh, in a suburb, and it says March 29th, 1995. A young Chloe Sullivan returns home from school, excited to share her latest story, this one about the Loch Ness Monster, but finds her, mo- her mother crying. She's about to go on vacation alone, quote unquote, And then some gentlemen, obviously, from like a mental institution appear. Cut to 12 years later, Lex is forced off the road, knocked out, and his property taken by Chloe. Al, we'll start with you, sir. What about this cold open you want to talk about?
0: First of all, anytime you get to see Linda Carter on screen, it's just amazing. I love her as an actor. She is part of one of the formative moments of my existence. I've you know watched her on Wonder Woman so many times. But I remember watching this episode originally and i watched it this time and had the same feeling about this scene like wow i get to see chloe's backstory anybody who's listened to our podcast uh, on tabletop journeys knows that i'm the backstory guy Uh, and i loved that element of the cold open i think it's a great way to do this especially this deep into a series great character like chloe Let's see what she was like when she was younger. And one, does that track with the character we started with in in the pilot? And does it track with her growth so far? Like, do you see that growth? And I have to say that Chloe did the young actress. She did a great job. And it really did a great job of showing Chloe's origins, growth, and that everybody leaves me kind of mentality.
2: Mm -hmm. Like,
0: I'm not good enough for anybody it really gave a really good backdrop to that without even specifically saying it. Like, I really was waiting because Smallville can be a little heavy-handed with that kind of thing from time <sighs> oh, to time. Oh, really? I haven't noticed. It, yeah, yeah. But I don't recall anywhere in this episode where they said that. Like, there was no, this is why I feel this way, Clark, because my mother left me. Like, that wasn't said. They really let the acting of the actors in that in that scene and then the different scenes later on do that work and i thought that was really brilliant like i love that open and the whole lex driving off the road and um, wiping out in a clear field clearly a good money saver they didn't want to destroy another car
2: yeah.
0: uh great on the on the on the budget in season uh season six but but then having chloe walk in because i had forgotten that chloe did that like i didn't mm-hmm. remember it had been just long enough where this was like watching an episode fresh for me. And the fact that it was Chloe made me say, Ooh, what's going on now? Like, why would she be doing this? And I honestly, I forgotten a lot of the plot points. So this was really cool Mm -hmm. to watch this episode effectively fresh as though I was watching it for the first time. And I really liked that open. I thought it set it up really nicely.
1: So I agree with you in large swaths, like in broad brushes. I think this is a really fun and effective cold open. But I have a lot of little nitpicks with it. One, it adds some very unnecessary confusion and possibly even contradiction to what we already know about Chloe Sullivan. Yeah. Because this was, the label is 1995. I believe the original meteor shower was 1989. So this means Chloe would be roughly six years old, I think, if I have those numbers correct. So that means that Chloe at six has already been meteor infected. Because they established that Moira's power is the ability for her to affect people who are meteor infected. So both yeah. her and Chloe have to have been exposed. And that doesn't really jive with what we learned about Chloe, because Chloe didn't come to Smallville until years later. And they don't explain, like, were they just traveling through Smallville in 89 and, or, or something? Or, where are they at now? And why even make it where Moira can only control meteor infected why not just make it where she can control anybody that she has something that she can touch i mean it would add a little bit of a complication but i think it would actually be easier than than having to navigate and make this make sense so just like little things like that i just wish they had had taken a little bit of extra time to kind of smooth those pieces out and then when we see moira she has that little pendant necklace thing And we will learn later that, obviously, that was Chloe's, and that's how she's able to communicate with Chloe. But she already had it. So it's kind of like, I would have liked to have had her say, here, I want to take this with me while I'm on vacation, and, like, taking it off of her neck. Or something to, like, to really solidify, no, this is Chloe's. Because then it just becomes confusing because she already had it. So is it, like... The transitive properties of ownership. How do we know it's Chloe's if Moira already had it? Like, what, what confers ownership in regards to this power? You know, it does, it's just an unnecessary complication.
0: I would absolutely agree with, with, with those pieces as well. Much easier if they just said Chloe and the family lived, the Sullivans lived elsewhere, and Moira was traveling through Smallville on the day of the meteor shower. Bang. Bob's your yeah. uncle. That, that solves all oils. So you could have Moira be meteor infected. That's what gives her the power to control people. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the thing is, so you don't have to change anything else you did, but right. those couple lines. And now you've erased all all of those weird things. And why Chloe's media infecting this waited six years to be known. And what's her ability if, in fact, she's media infected? Because we don't see that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and like we don't see her exercise any powers. We just know she can be controlled. So
2: yeah. is
0: it possible that people can be meteor infected and not have any powers? That's something we haven't seen anymore. So there's a lot of yeah. weirdness there for sure There is
1: there's, there is some weirdness now. We have established that it is possible to have a latent ability that hasn't been presented yet because that's where Chloe currently is in the series. She knows she's infected, but she does not have any overt powers. And she, I think she's talked about she's, you know, she's had people on her wall of weird for years that she believed were infected, but never actually presented. But it's not like hardcore factual, but it's it's theorizing that kind of fits the, the information that we have. But then so we jump to the 12 years later and Lex again is driving. And this is where we get the needle drops because he's switching through the radio stations on his like steering wheel column of his of his car. Mommy chula. And according to the companion guide, so this isn't TuneFind or any other website that I sometimes use, this is the official companion guide, it lists the following songs as being used in this episode. We have Stepping, As You Get Closer, Scruggs, and Figured Out Love, all credited to telepictures. So not a band, but like a company that, I guess, creates music could not find lyrics for any of these. Like, I don't know if they actually exist outside of this show, but that's what he's flipping through. And then he lands on the Flying Dutchman, which is the the Wagner overture. So that's what he actually listens to. So I don't know why they put five different songs all from this telepictures company in there. It makes no sense to me. I couldn't find lyrics. So I have no idea if they connect to the show or not. I honestly
0: think it was probably because they wanted to show that Lex still uh, is a distracted driver who's bound to get himself <laughs> or somebody else killed, uh, but has the money to get out of it, right? Yeah. I think it was just that. They wanted to have somebody just scan through channels. And as opposed to having him scan through a bunch of news or commercials, made-up commercials, they wanted it to actually be music. But they weren't going to pay royalty money for legit songs so they went right. to probably some elevator music company or something like that to grab a bunch of uh five second sound bites or whatever the case may be so they could air that it, i think it's probably a cost saving measure and i'd be interested to find out if they actually didn't have other songs that they actually ran through while they were filming
1: uh mm. that
0: were more thematic to the scene but then decided we're not paying for that money that like here's an easy uh uh Hundred thousand, we don't have to spend, or whatever the case. I I have no idea how much money it takes to buy these things, but uh, on on that on the CW scale, but uh, I I bet you that whatever they wanted to do got dropped because of money, (laughs) and at the the last second, they went this route.
1: I have no inside information, but my heart says you are 100% correct that they got a good deal on these five songs all from that same company. I mean, Telepictures is probably a company that's specializes in creating music for TV shows. And it was probably yep. cheaper to have these five songs than anything else. So Lex is on the phone. He, he says uh, he, something about the patient continues to refuse to admit that she has any powers. Lex says, well, this wouldn't be the first time that, you know, one of those people, I think, you know, obviously meter infected uh, has said that Keep pressing. And then this is when he gets ran off the road by this large giant, like, you know, it's not an 18 wheeler. So it's just a pickup truck, but it's like a souped out deluxe, jacked up extra light truck yeah i am counting lex's car as damaged because it we it is still there the next day so obviously he couldn't just drive it away when he when he woke up and there's also the scene where there's like some like steam coming i think it's cgi steam but there's like steam coming up from the engine so i think it's supposed to have stalled out before he can kind of gather himself a light's in his eyes the window gets knocked out he gets knocked out and then we see it's Chloe take something. I didn't know what it was at first. I couldn't tell that it was a flash drive, but we learned later that's what it was. Uh, it's Chloe who, who just knocked him unconscious. So then that's Lex, our first and not last unconscious person of the episode.
0: Yeah. And uh, spoiler alert, Lex does some double duty in this regard. Um, <laughs> like in my life, I've had 11 concussions. Wow. So I know what that's like, right? And I can tell you, by season six Lex should have been catatonic. (laughs) Like, like, I don't know how he makes it. Uh, Oh yeah. Everyone in the show
1: has CTE.
0: Yeah. Like big time, like bad, bad, bad. Um, but uh, all kidding aside. Yeah. That there, there's some good things about that piece. I agree with you. I think the car was damaged, not wrecked, but yeah, definitely. I think, uh, that's how I marked it on my personal scorecard as well. (laughs) Um, uh, I I did want to call out and it shows up a lot uh, better elsewhere with what we now know. This episode had a certain additional poignance whenever Chloe was controlled and doing things like some of the lines, the actress read in this particular, or or acted in this made me think very chillingly about some of her real life trials and travails Mm -hmm. that, that we know of. Like I actually was like, Wow. I wonder if that's kind of how she looked when she was having those moments and go, and, and doing these things that we now know. And they're horrible. I don't want to get into super amount of detail on it. But yeah. this was one of those episodes where I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's what she was doing at that time. You know, actors pull things from places. Uh, and I'm not saying uh Actors who play villains are bad people by any means, but it's interesting when you see emotions on display that actors are using, and then you see other things that they have done and you're like,
2: Hmm.
0: okay, I see that connection. So
1: It's interesting. I I don't know. I don't have that information. That's interesting. Okay. That brings us to the end. Unless you have something else, we'll move on to the first act, please.
0: First act. It is. Chloe has been losing time. Clark goes in to check on her. And after she missed their coffee date, she's worried that this is related uh, to her meteor infection. Clark tells her not to worry, drives her to work. On the way, they see Lex Car and Snoop. They learn, that, uh, they learn that Chloe was the one who ran him off the road. Lana is worried that something is wrong with her and wants a full examination. Chloe finds the missing flash drive and learns it's about her mother. Lex meets with Moira and wants to use her power to control the media infected.
1: All right. So in this one, we start, Chloe wakes up in the Talon apartment. And I'm a little confused by the geography of the apartment because I'm, I'm almost positive we've seen this exact angle before. And sometimes the bed is there and sometimes it's not. And I don't know if that's just angles or I'm just forgetting or if it's just like a modular set. And sometimes they have the bed there, sometimes they don't. But basically, her floor is just completely covered in these muddy boot tracks. She wakes up, she sees the boots, she sees the mud, and then Clark knocks and comes in. And my first thought is that I thought it was a little bit odd and kind of rude that he wouldn't wait for a response before coming in. But then I also realized that he was coming in because she was supposed to meet him for coffee and didn't. And based on their history, there's a good chance she's been kidnapped or there's an alien abduction. Something's going on. So I can understand why he would just come on in. Though I don't know why the door is unlocked.
0: I've always wondered why he didn't just – if he was that worried, why he wouldn't have X-ray visioned it, Mm. seen she was there and sleeping, and then waited for a response.
1: Well, that's because he uses his powers stupidly and inappropriately all the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, there's 15 ways he could say not just burst in on somebody because he knows, okay, she's safe. uh, I'll wait and play the play card.
1: I mean, she could be in there with Jimmy, you know, having a little fun time.
0: You know. We can't even, uh, we can't even in a PG-13 podcast get into uh, <laughs> Clark's voyeurism. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons why that was not necessarily the right thing to do. And I picked up on that, too. Like, I'm like, he just walked on in. Yeah, he just kept like, in. Just, he just walked on in.
1: Yeah. Uh, so he comes in and they start talking and she says something about, she's basically, they, they realize that she has lost time. And Clark says something like, Maybe you're sleepwalking.
2: Last night,
0: possibly, but this isn't the first time this has happened. Two days ago, I was typing on my computer at the Daily Planet, and then boom, I'm waking up at home the next morning.
1: Which does tie back later when we realize that Chloe went to the uh, mental institution where her mother was before and doesn't remember that kind of thing. I do kind of like where she says that she's worried this might be related to her meteor infection, because she's exactly right, but not for the way that she thinks. Yeah. This is only because she's meteor infected then her mom is is trying to control her or is controlling her, but it's not because of her actual infection. Uh, I love how Clark scolds her for jumping to conclusions. Like, they jump to conclusions all the time. Yeah. So much that that's a a question on our rundown to begin with. And he's like, I thought you are a reporter. You don't jump to conclusions. Yeah, yeah, you do. You always do. And you're right 90% of the time because that's the way the show works.
0: Yeah, I I was like, Clark, do you even watch your own show? I mean, like, are you that, new here? Yeah. You've been in Smallville since you were like four. <laughs> like this is what people in Smallville do. They jump to conclusions. They are proven absolutely correct. And then the, if they're not you and Chloe, you make sure they don't realize they're absolutely correct.
1: <laughs> uh, the Chloe, or excuse me, Clark trying to be the good friends, like, hey, you know, no, no big deal. Let me give you a ride to work. And for a second, I'm like, is he going to, like, just pick her up and zoom her to to work? Uh, But later, we see they're actually in a car. And again, I said we weren't going to talk about this, but it's just another example of how they've reduced the time between Smallville and Metropolis to the point that Chloe, they they just commute now between Smallville and Metropolis for a daily work schedule. And that's just ridiculous. Yeah. So we come over to the mansion. Lana is still laying in bed. She's still very morose about what happened. Uh, There was a quote-unquote miscarriage and she notices that Lex, you know, has like a Band-Aid on her head or something. And that they have the, basically they have this conversation where he's like, I didn't want to bother you. You're not sleeping. And even though you're still not sleeping, she says she hasn't told anybody yet. And then she's like, I want to get a full, you know, full examination. What if something's wrong with me? I want to know about it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my last guest, we talked about, you know, miscarriage is actually a very common thing. But it's not something we, especially in America, talk a lot about. And I don't necessarily want to get into that too heavily, but I just to, to give the context that she feels like maybe there's something wrong with her and that's why she lost the baby, we will learn, as will Lana, or we know, as Lana will learn, that there wasn't a pregnancy at all. It was all fake to begin with.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, on that topic, I think uh, advice somebody gave me for reasons is don't tell anybody you're pregnant until the end of the first trimester. mmm Because of that issue. Because it's hard anyway. It's harder anyway plus. Once you start telling people. And I cannot fathom. Being a mother. Having to tell people. Obviously. I'm not a mother. uh, So that's tough enough. But being a father who has had to. Once. uh, I can tell you. It's it's gut wrenching. So I thought. Mm -hmm. Kirsten played that and those emotions so well. Like I read that. And again, it was just one of those things that brought up some of those feelings with me. And I really felt that now, when I first watched this episode years ago, when it first ran, that was not an experience I had at that point in my life. So it didn't resonate. Like it was just, okay, I know it's fake. She thinks it's real actor puts on a face and that's good. It didn't have that resonance. 20 years later, now that I've had some life experiences, some of them not so wonderful, that resonates on a whole different level. And I can really appreciate the skill and technique and the quality of the actors in this show in these types of scenes. Um, You know, for an episode that didn't have all the flashiness, though it did have some, but it didn't have, you weren't fighting Bizarre, you weren't fighting Doomsday, it wasn't against, you know, the 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 freeze kid from Crater Lake or the B-Girl or any of those types of things. This had some really deep pathos and some of those scenes were so well acted. Mm-hmm. Probably a forgotten episode when people look at the 10-year tw- the history of this show, but it really shouldn't be if you're looking for some quality scenes. Like, individual scenes were so well done. That scene was one of my... One of my rewatch favorites because Mm. of how well it was done, even though not my favorite plot, by the way. I I absolutely didn't care for the plot, but it was still a really good scene.
1: (laughs) Right. You know, and Lex plays along. He's like, of course, I'll get, you know, I'll make, I'll make the appointment right now. He doesn't say you make the appointment. He says, I'll make the appointment. And as we know, there's never going to be an appointment, though she does end up there anyways, which I have some issues with the logistics of that later, but we'll get to that. So we cut back to Chloe and Clark. They're now driving. So Clark did not pick her up over his shoulder and zoom to Metropolis. They drove in a truck. Pretty sure this is a new truck. It's a Toyota Tundra. This has got to be some product placement. Like that's not the normal truck they drive. It's very clear that Toyota will even get like the Tundra runner or whatever when they open the door. So they're very, very clearly letting us see that this is a new truck. But would cops just let people get this close to What is a crime scene, right? Like they just pull off the road, pull up. They're like 20 feet away and not one cop goes, hey, get away from here. That seemed weird. I would say
0: if they didn't look like they were continuing to approach, probably yes. But what I thought was odd about that is they pulled off the road. They drove through somebody's private property to watch. That's what cops wouldn't be cool with. It would have been like, we don't want people anywhere near this anyway. Yep. But if they were on the road, if they just pulled on the side of the road, put on their hazard lights, and walked along the roadside, as long as they stayed out of where they thought uh, evidence would be, they would be fine with it. Because they couldn't do anything legally about that. Keep your distance. We're going to start putting a police tape. You can't come any closer. That type of thing. Soon as they pull off the road, now they've got license to say you can't be here. Here's your ticket. Get out of here.
1: Right. <laughs> and they didn't need to be that close either. It's what's weird about it is like you know with Clark's abilities, and everything he didn't need to be that close. It just it's just like a weird. I don't know. I probably just didn't care. They're like, all right, pull over there, or whatever. I, I did think
0: I, it was. I was going to say I think it was for exactly the reasons you mentioned. It was how do we do the product placement. I don't remember what I was watching or listening, but I remember hearing something or reading something back in the day, like first run days, that some of the struggles to get the money for this show because CW was starting to downgrade their support for the show, that one of the things they did was they started the product placement. I think that started season five when they started doing that more frequently but this one and there's a number of other shows that really started doing that and you would see them go through some obnoxious narrative hoops to make sure a car got featured Mm -hmm. famously hawaii 50 the new series great series love it watched every episode but they were product placement from like season two on and they actually season one on they were like we are a chevy show all of our hero cars are going to be Chevy's and we're going to consistently show Chevy's mm. and like, they got new cars all the time and they were always showing the latest model and the hero car had to do all these specific things. And it was always where you could clearly see all the shields and the, yep. the, all the stuff. So I really think it was because it made for a nice, I mean, they didn't even have to pay for a commercial. They literally showed that driving up and they put the ta- the taglines, this you know, please don't do this at home. This was done on a closed course with a train driver. Like that's literally all they had to do. And like, you know, Toyota, our trucks are super, you know, (laughs) like that's it. Hashtag call your boys, TTJ. (laughs) We have
1: seen some worse product placement with vehicles in the show. There was one episode where they got like a Ford focus. It it was, it was so bad. This this is actually mild compared to that. Yeah. Yeah. But I did think it was funny that Clark uses his super speed to go over there and it's like really muddy. And I know we don't care about physics in the show, but it would have been like a nice touch if they would have like shown like mud prints there and back or like if his boots were covered in mud because of the there and back. But no, we leave all that out. But what we learned is that there was a flash drive stolen because the security guy's on the phone with Lex. And then Clark uses his x-ray vision, sees a button, brings it back over. Chloe instantly realizes it's her button and that she is the one who did this to... Lex. And I mean, I guess it does track, but it also feels a little bit like a leap of logic to go to, to get there so quickly. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess she is technically wearing, no, she's not even wearing the jacket. I think it's home. Like if if you just, if someone showed you a button, even if it was a button that you had lost from an article clothing, would you instantly go, Oh wait, that's my button. I think I
0: might. Uh, oh, Okay. All right, Fair enough. I think what they didn't do a good job is have in the earlier scene have Chloe go to pick up her jacket and say huh lost a button that little bit would have made that make much more sense Mm. because if she was aware that a button was missing and it was the same jacket or oh button's missing on this I'll grab my other coat anything to, to indicate that she was aware of the thing in these moments right. would have made that made, make a little more sense. So I don't think there was nearly enough information. That is a bit of a leap of logic in this case, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. they didn't give us the heads up, but it also could have been there and just ended up on the cutting room floor. True. I mean, I suspect that that's because it's not a big thing.
1: They had to show us that seven seconds of the Toyota driving across the field. So, you know, they had yeah, to make room yeah. for it. Uh, so they ended up going back to the Talon. Uh, to the apartment where she checks her coat that it was missing the button and does find the, the flash drive. So they pop it in the computer and the, the only thing in there is one text file. And I did screen grab the images that we see and, and we can't see all of it, but it's basically a case number, a bunch of numbers and letters don't make any sense to me. Uh, it says ability suspected of being able to control other meteor infected subjects. Date of birth is September 20th, 1960 born in Granville, Kansas, eyes blue, hair brown, 5'8", and then we have a treatment history. Patient admitted herself to forrest Glen Sanitarium approximately nine years ago. She was considered delusional and underwent intensive psychotherapy as a result. Brain activity was recorded at exceptionally high levels and is believed to be cause of patient's degenerative mental illness. Patient eventually fell into a catatonic, catatonic state, rendering further treatment ineffective." Uh, and then it gets a little bit harder to read. There's some, like, just the way the screen was reading. And then on the next page, basically, uh, we learned that the patient may be the key to finalizing Project Ares. Experimentation with alien peptides. stage one, current theory is that patient's ability may be adapted in order to something, enhance beings, if this proves feasible, subject the project Aries design will be implemented. Result: the world's first unstoppable army. That is that is that is listed in this page. It says result: the world's first unstoppable army. Good to know. Yeah, uh, we get some vital signs. It's it's all no, all normal stuff, uh, but we don't get a name. All we get is a picture. And when Chloe clicks on it, who is it? Of course, but it's her own mother.
0: So I think in that moment when I, when you see her there, then again, like I said, this was a rewatch for me and it had been a while since I'd seen this episode. I remember that Linda, Linda Carter was played her mom, but I forgot as I was watching this, that we'd actually met her mom earlier like Mm -hmm. that. I didn't remember until I'm watching. I'm like, Oh, that's right. This is after they met her the first time. This wasn't the first time they met her. And it kind of brought that back. So, you know, when, if you're watching this, um, for the first time or you're watching the solid all the way through some of these connections, uh, hit in a way that makes a lot more sense. I really thought that, uh, it was, it was a lot of info dump and obviously they wasn't on screen to read all that directly, but it's nice that it was there. I think that's a great touch. Uh, a little bit of care went into that, uh, you know, um, that, that they probably uh, shaved an extra couple seconds off the truck drive uh, to make sure we had this bit of yeah. this bit of gold uh, but it was it was a, it was a moment where again you get to see, oh my god Clark, it, it it's my mom you yeah. know and and I thought that was this is superhero stuff. There's no way to have that happen and have any frame of reference for w- how weird that would feel or or sound. Like right, nobody yeah. gets to say that, right? right. Uh, so I'm like, oh my I, God, I it's my mom. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work.
1: One small thing for me is obviously Linda is one of the most beautiful women in the world, right? She looks pretty awful in that picture. Like that looks more like a mugshot than anything else. Like they did not gloss her up, where in the yeah. cold open, I, it almost like they were like they were using dh technology or the, just the way they had her makeup she looks younger but uh yeah she looks kind of rough in that that image in there and i thought that was a nice touch not to have her all you know it wasn't a glamour shot
0: it's got to be hard because y- you see her today and she's like in her 70s or close to her her 80s or whatever it may be and she's a beautiful woman and its it, it, it has to be a Herculean effort to make her not. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I agree. I, I like the fact that, again, they took the care to make that happen. I think the, uh, the aging was less the actual technology and more just lighting and saturation to get that effect, like yeah. uh, basically filters. Uh, it, looked little, it
1: looked a little um, Vaseline-y, a little, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, But still, I mean, it's it's hard to make her not beautiful, and they did a pretty good job of it. So then we immediately cut after Chloe recognizes it as her mom. And now we're in what we will, I assume, and correctly assume, is the secret 33.1 facility where she is at. And she still has that same necklace pendant thing that she had in the cold open, which, again, we have no reason to believe currently is Chloe's. In the hallways, we can see some other security patrolling, moving other patients. And then Lex comes to visit. Uh, She's like, you know, I want to see Chloe. Chloe. And Lex is trying to play it like, you know, good cop here. Like, yeah, we we can make that happen. But first, we need to do these other things. Uh, We get the information that she is on an experimental drug. Because this is one of the things about this show, this episode's a little bit odd, is she's got two different things happening. Her ability, apparently, from what I can gather in the show, it causes her brain to run like hot or like a lot of energy. And that is causing her to go into a catatonic state. So the drugs that she was given by Lex brings her out of that catatonic state so that she is lucid and now she can activate her ability, but they even warn her that using her ability too much can cause her to go back into the state. And then even then, eventually she will anyway because it's a limited time thing, which again, seems like an unnecessary complication. It works because of how the episode ends, but it just feels like there's a lot of moving parts there.
0: I I, I think they... I think the writers who did an amazing job wrote themselves into a corner. You can't bring up Linda Carter in the show for a one or two shot kind of character without explaining why she's not around anymore. And they weren't prepared to say, now she's gone off with star labs out of Lex's control and they're going to keep her safe. So Chloe can feel comfortable with their moms there because then you're going to need to see her. Uh, Once a season uh, to 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 keep that fresh in the viewers minds. You don't want to kill Linda Carter. Who the hell wants to do that? Right. And that's a level of pathos that they've really saved in this show for Clark and Lex and Lana. Right. They they don't kill a lot of big characters' people in this show. It's really the the big three whose who's family members get killed. Other people can be captured. They can go away. They can be hurt. They can do all these other things. But dead is not something they do. So you're really left with, whatever we do to make this character tick, we've got to untick it by the end of this set. And I mm-hmm. think that was the struggle. And I think they found a way to do it. And I think you're right. It's overly complicated. But, heck, if I knew a different way to do it right. without having her, you know, there's no Wayne Foundation. Mm-hmm. Star Labs in, in Smallville history, it becomes a, a friendly organization, but it was somehow under the control or auspices of Lex at some point as well. So, I mean, like, that's not a good viable option within the narrative you're weaving here. And there really aren't any known actual legacy things around. So unless they went to whole cloth, make a new organization, they're really out of options.
1: Well, but we do have the Oliver Queen, who I think was even kind of inferred by Chloe. I think she's I think she's specifically referencing Clark when she says later, I have an, you know incredible re- resources at my disposal. But I, I do like and we're jumping way ahead here when Moira basically says, no, I don't want you to, to get this drug, make your own version, don't steal it, because I'm too powerful that if people can control me with my abilities, I'm dangerous. So I would rather go back into this catatonic state than to be a danger to anyone. And it is sort of like, ai am going to say like a mirror or an echo of Chloe in a, in a way, because Chloe becomes Watchtower, where she basically dedicates her life to saving the world on a daily basis by working for the superhero. She doesn't, you know, she's not a reporter for the Daily Planet anymore. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't do the normal things you would do with a life. She has dedicated herself to helping superheroes be super. And I think there's an equivalency there to more saying, "I'm going to sacrifice my life to not be a danger to the world," where Chloe sacrifices her life in a way to be a help to the world.
0: Absolutely, and very similarly, uh, you have Clark who sacrifices his happiness on so many levels, and his desire to be a normal person, be a normal teenager during those years, be a normal young adult, do all the normal things because of the the burden uh, of protecting the world. You know, uh, so I think it's a great allegory, and it's just another one of those uh, character moments that happens throughout the series where. Here, while this one was specifically dedicated to uh, inspiring uh, Chloe, that Clark standing on the sidelines, you know, a little bit to the rear, to the right of, of, of Chloe in those scenes, he's uh, he's getting that inspiration too. And it's an echo for him. I mean, if, he, if we saw a flashback in his head at season 10 about, here's what you have to give up to do this, sh- this scene would be one of the things that went through his mind about, yeah, mm-hmm. but c- other good people have far less power than I do made the same sacrifice or made right. similar sacrifices or worse sacrifices yeah. uh, you know and so I think I think it was just one of those moments that really rings true with the theme of Smallville sometimes you got to sacrifice to do what's right and I mm. and, and I love the fact that they bring it up through many characters throughout the series not just Clark.
1: So I'll have more to say about that scene when we get there uh, but in this scene basically Lex comes to Moore and says You got to use your powers. You got to show me you can do this. She tries to say, I don't have any power. And then she sort of half admits to it, saying, well, I, if I've been able to control Chloe, it's just because we were close. It has nothing to do with, you know, ability or her being infected. Um, There's nothing to demonstrate. I've never been able to control anyone but Chloe.
2: Well, I suppose there's a first time for everything.
1: And that's where we end the first act. So anything you want to circle back to there before we move on?
0: Uh, I think we covered it. I think uh, this is an episode that had wonderful scenes, and I liked that exchange. I think there's – I always had some challenges during this season with, uh, again, it was almost like the season made leaps of logic like uh, that I didn't see. Like They were so careful as they advanced Lex villainy in previous episodes, but it's like when he made his turn in season uh, season five or whatever, then he was like all in, and it was like, okay, I'm going to start doing bad things. We didn't see him build the bad organizations. We just saw all of a sudden, every time you saw him, he just had some new secret project that has been years in the making. Uh, and it's like, well, Lex wasn't really commanding that for all these years. Like She's been there, and like they don't give a good indication of how long uh, Lex has had her w- waking up or how long he's been developing this other Sheerum. Like, it's like, was somebody else doing that, and Lex happened upon it? They have shown that a few times in mm-hmm. the past. And, and like, I think it's weird to have Lex in this, I'm in command of all the things and all the moving pieces, but we never saw him actually start moving those pieces. I thought that was kind of odd overall, and that really hit me in in, the, in that scene.
1: Yeah, it is again, there's definitely a leap of logic with Lex because we only recently learned that that Chloe was meteor infected. And he's basically he's he's leaping to the, the conclusion that Moira was not delusional and that when she institutionalized herself, it was because she could control Chloe. And that he's now saying, well, the reason she could control Chloe is because Chloe's meteor infected and not any other reason. And that that by vis a vis transitive properties means she can control other being infected. He's exactly right, but that is a lot of maybe if and then statements that just happen to line up perfectly for him to be correct. It's definitely a leap of logic on his part there.
0: Yeah, and and very similar to Clark saying, "Don't you base your things in fact." Everything about Lex in season one was about how he couldn't explain. This leap of logic, like maybe you just hit it weird, was a leap of logic that he would not accept. He had computer models. He had the car up on wires in his house yep. because he didn't accept leaps of logic. He had to understand all the moving parts, bells and whistles. That's Lex Luthor. That's the character that he's built. But yet, all of a sudden, this conclusion just made sense without any good basis of fact or experimentation to prove it.
1: Yeah, it's just like, sure, I guess, whatever. Uh, yep. So we'll jump into our second act here. Clark and Chloe go to visit Moira. For some reason, yeah, seeing it the other way made my brain fried. But Chloe yeah. is no longer welcome, and her mother has already been transferred. They need to talk to Lex and head to the mansion. Meanwhile, Chloe's mother is forced to reveal her powers, and Lex asks her to call out to an escaped infected and return him back to the facility, but she has other ideas. The escapee is now under orders to find and kill Lex, attacks Lana just before Clark and Chloe arrive. So Clark and Chloe go to visit the mental hospital where Moira has been cared for. And we get a line here from Clark reminding us that she was in a catatonic state last time Chloe visited. But we quickly learn from the admin that Chloe is no longer welcome there after yesterday's quote unquote blow up. Uh, And Chloe is about to be escorted out by security. Clark realizes there's a video camera, and he's like, hey, just trust me. And, you know, we assume that he's going to basically zoom in still the videotapes and come back out. I don't know where this was filmed, but it's very clear that they just added a bunch of signage, specifically like security signage and security desk to make it look like it was where it was supposed to be. But I don't know where it actually was. Yeah. All right. So anything about that scene before we keep moving on here?
0: Yeah. So, I think that could have uh, benefited. I don't know if it would have fit in the time frame. from once they said the word, giving us a flashback of what happened to see how things went down. Like, did she pull a Karen and get create, get angry? Did she start flipping chairs? Did she like sneak in and get caught? Like, you know, at what point did, uh, how did that, how did that happen? And, and I am assuming it was not enough where police were involved because she was known that it was her. So uh, I think that'd have been nice to see. I think, uh, well, we do see, I, in, I
1: we do see it in we do see it a little bit. We get to see the video footage, and she actually does punch a lady. Like she assaults yeah. one of the admins. So you think the police would have been involved?
0: One would be, but you know, but Smallville. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that, that maybe that would have been a good spot for it. seeing it a little bit later. Probably is it, it was the time saved kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, it, overall it was I don't think that's as calmly as they treat people who've been escorted out for assault, even if yeah. you weren't going to call the cops. I'm betting it would have been a little bit more vehement, and I'm betting at this point cops would have definitely been involved.
1: I brought it before. I used to work private, not private security. I used to work security for retail. work for Target and for Home Depot. And I can 100% guarantee you that if if a customer assaulted an employee, and then like two days later that that customer comes back in, we are immediately calling the police. Like the moment we see them, the police are on the way. This isn't a well. Let's talk to them this time. No, not, that's not going to happen.
0: Nope. I I too. I work security for an insurance company. And my specific job was to investigate people who have been angry on the phones, who have been on property while we were relatively plain clothes or uniform, like specific shirt jacket kind of thing, specific uh, security tie. Uh, we were the ones who manned uh, secure uh, the reception desks off hours and relieved them for breaks. And our office was near the our offices or our... our uh, Spaces were always near reception desks for exactly that purpose.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If an angry person, especially when you're dealing with life insurance shows up, our goal is to be there. Like we were trained on all kinds of bomb protocols and all mm-hmm. of those things. Yep. As I'm sure you were uh, in in your, in your capacities and uh, it is, it does not happen like that in the real world that, you know, Hollywood is wonderful. That's all I can say.
1: <laughs> well, I, I have a note later, but so, so we're gonna jump ahead to the scene where they're watching the video. And again, I, I do like Allison's reaction as Chloe when she sees herself punch that lady. Like her reaction is actually kind of funny there when she's like, oh, I, you know, I did that. But I'm not gonna say a hundred percent, but it, at all the stores I worked at, none of our security cameras had audio. It was video only. Yep. And I really doubt they would have had the audio that we had there. It, they would have just had the video. And here's the reason why, because they don't want that audio in case something goes to court. They want to be able to say, I don't remember what was said, or I don't remember, or this is what was said, and have people go, this is my statement, another person yep. heard me. They do not want the actual word that anybody said to be entered into the court record. So that's why there's no audio on those cameras.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, like I said, and granted, I, and I was working security for that insurance company at the time these episodes were, were airing. Mm. So I can tell you without a doubt, most places did not have the technology to have that kind of visual clarity. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, You know, we're not talking Jack Bauer 24. We're not talking Smallville either. It was that grainy stuff that, that we actually see on the news where it's like, we think it looks like so-and-so does this look like anybody, you know, I'm like, I see a blob. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we know there's a tattoo. It looks like a blob. You it know, like blob. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, we could tell he's wearing dark clothing. Like, you couldn't tell if it was red, brown, or green. You know, uh, half of them were black and white or the uh, anyway. And the few that are in color well, were just, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so we, so we missed a scene in the middle that's very important. So Lex comes back to Moira, and he basically forces her to reveal her power by putting her in a room with Lowell and says Lowell basically knock the snot out of her killer, give her all you got. He starts ripping things out of the wall and she's basically, to, to save her life, she has to use her powers to control him. And I love this from Lex's point of view because that is exactly the way Lex would handle that. But I do kind of question why Moira would not just be honest because, I mean, does she not think this was coming? I guess maybe she, she's been a Catatonic. She doesn't know Lex. So she doesn't know the ends that he will go to. But I kept thinking you could have saved yourself some trouble because y- you were going to get to this point. Like, there's just no way that this wasn't going to happen. Um, and so I kind of liked how it came out. So then we cut to the scene we just did where we talked about where they saw They watched the video. They saw that more was already transferred. And they're like, we got to go talk to Lex. And this sets up some really weird continuity stuff I don't like in this episode. Because they say, hey, we have to go talk to Lex. But then we get the scene where Lex has Moira use her power to bring the guy back. But we already established how quickly people move. And yet she has time to call this guy, call him using her powers to say, hey, go to the mansion. And then he can run to the mansion and get there before Clark and Chloe get there. I, I don't know. just I, I felt like the geography of that was a little bit muddled to me.
0: The geography of Smallville uh, is weirder than the island on Lost. It is whatever (laughs) they need for the scene to happen. The Dharma Initiative actually got their start out past uh, Crater Lake in Smallville, in my opinion, because it is always weird. Like Lex's house is supposed to be so far away, yet everybody can get there in minutes from the center of town. And you've talked about it on the show many times that it always serves whatever it needs to serve. They just need people to be in places. There's never an accounting for time. Interestingly enough, that's one of the reasons why I think 24 did really well, because they always accounted for travel time when you're on that real-life clock. And they found innovative ways to do that. You don't do that in a show like this, but I think you could. Mm -hmm. Phone calls while you're driving. While he was running there, they could have been setting up a room for her to exercise her powers or whatever. There's a number of things that could have happened to uh, call for the time. I mean, even if they did that, and it's really cheesy, but even if they did two hours later, uh, yeah. you know, these things would work. I mean, there's got to be a way to show the passage of yeah. time better. Like, to have it clearly be daytime and then have it be nighttime when it happens, that would be a good way to show, you know, yeah. you know. we've been at a simple line moira we've been at this all day what are you doing where's my results you know now you know just from that line which would have been a great line for michael rosebaum to throw down i I, like you know i think that would have gone over really well now all of a sudden when you have that happen, you're like oh this is hours later because we know it's been all they've been at it all day
1: and you go back to the security thing um The way that we labeled our tapes, because these were all VHS tapes back when I was working at at Target and Home Depot. Well, Target's for sure. Home Depot, we eventually moved into digital. But like our videotapes were, we reused them. So it wasn't like we would have Tuesday, October 8th written on a VHS tape. We would have like 181 and then we'd have 182 and 183. And you'd have to go to a different book and go, okay, so 181 was last used this day for this eight-hour shift. So you could have had a line where Chloe's like, it took us seven hours to find the thing we were looking for, you know? Yep. I don't know. It just, it, it'd been very easy to make that make sense. Cause it doesn't work to me. It just, it, it's like, okay. It's not that it doesn't work, it? but it is like a little silly the way they edit it, where Clark and Chloe are about to go to, to Lex's. And then we have this other thing that takes some time that happens before they get there. It seems weird.
0: I think the, uh, I, I, uh... The term that comes to mind is, is it it breaks the suspension of disbelief.
1: Yeah. I can believe meteor
0: rocks come down and infect people. I can believe that an alien comes down, looks dead like us, and can do things, but was raised by the perfect right people. There's no bright burn going on here. And that I right. can believe all the other fantastical things, and that this psychopath has been raised in this town, or near this town, by a psychopath of a father. And I can believe all of that, But what takes me out of that is when time doesn't work right. When basic physics outside of the fantasy doesn't work. That's Mm -hmm. where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm watching a show that somebody missed something. And I think, you know, we in nerd culture get a lot of flack for that's just silly. These are the things that people say are just silly. That's why when some shows do them exceptionally well, or you get those very gritty, realistic supers shows. That's why Arrow in its first couple seasons was so widely received outside of nerd culture. My wife watched the first three or four seasons and she doesn't do superhero shows because it was just a gripping crime drama Mm -hmm. that I knew there was cool stuff. He never busted out the funky Arrow. He never did super things. And not that I dislike any other part of that show or any of these shows, because I'm I'm in for the supers, but those breaches of disbel of suspension of disbelief, uh, they They're pretty glaring, you know?
1: But speaking of things that don't make sense, did Lex let that guy escape just to try to test Moira? Or did he actually escape? Because in other episodes, and again, if you haven't rewatched them recently, you may not be as familiar. But in the same episodes that we we learned Chloe was meteor infected, we also learned that Lex was, like, GPS tagging all of these people. And if he was inside the facility, I can't believe he wouldn't have done the same. Like, he has to know where this guy is, right? I am...
0: I think that's the question we're never going to get the answer to, because, and again, going back to suspension of disbelief, Lex is supposed to be the person who's maneuvering all the pieces. He's playing chess while Clark and everybody else is playing checkers, right? And if this is the case, how does he not know where so-and-so is? Because when you need him to be the mastermind of all things, he is. But then at other times, he's duped by the most foolish and silly things, like he's A regular move off the street and I have not figured out why they couldn't get that consistency and I think watching other rewatch uh podcasts with some of the actors that he's commented on that a lot like why would my character you know why would Lex if he's all this do that and he's talked about some of those things in a little bit and he's very gracious towards the writers he never lambastes anybody that I've ever seen for uh, a particular thing or whatever uh, and it generally gets chopped up to that's the way scripts were written at the time right And uh, I have a couple friends who do who do acting professionally right now and watching them do their through their processes and listening to their conversations uh, about acting. Uh, I think actors have very specific ways they would like some things to go. It's not always what happens they're not in charge of that. And I think that's one of those things that just gets sacrificed. There are real character inconsistencies on long-running shows that have 24-episode season arcs. Like,
1: yeah. I mean, these things live or die on coincidences. Like, if there weren't the right coincidences, the show wouldn't work. And sometimes these sort of just, like, inconsistencies are the same thing. Like, we, we have to have Lex be the mastermind for this season or this episode, but he has to make a fatal flaw in this episode for this to work. So it just, it goes back and forth. And I would even argue the fact that he doesn't assume that Moira will betray him. You know, she's been yeah. so brazenly defiant and, and she doesn't have to say, she doesn't have to verbalize what she wants this person to do. He should have suspected that that she was going to send this guy to kill him. Like, I thought that was what was going to happen.
0: I'm surprised he
1: didn't have, like,
0: a picture of uh, an assassin within two feet of of Chloe at all times. And if you don't do what I say, I will signal him to pull the trigger. Like, I was surprised that that wasn't how he set that up because that is a Lex Luthor move for me, certainly in the comic books, certainly in films where Lex Luthor was played well. (laughs) You know, but clearly, and even in this show, there are times he would do, he would make those kinds of moves. It's odd to me that there wasn't that kind of backup. like. Lex, wait, knows, doesn't trust anybody. He expects everybody to betray him. That's the core of the character. That's his fatal flaw. Because everybody will betray me, I have to be all-powerful so I can't be hurt by everybody betraying me. And so for him to not have a backup for that instance,
1: weird. weird. (laughs) So now here's where our uh, unconsciousness counter starts to go up. So... Even though Clark and Chloe are already on the way there, and then we cut to this guy running down the tracks, Moira says, hey, you're going to find Lex and kill him. He gets to the mansion first, and we first see him as he throws a security guard through the door. So it's actually kind of hard. I didn't even notice it the first couple times I watched this episode, but when the door gets broken down by Lowell, or no, this, is, this guy isn't Lowell. This guy's just a nameless guy. We never get his name. He's throwing a security guard through the door. So that person is definitely unconscious. He's looking for Lex. He finds Lana. Lana tries to fight back. I love Lana. I love that she doesn't just be the damsel in distress. But then he uses some sort of like wind control power and pulls her backwards. She goes unconscious. That's when Clark shows up, picks this guy up, and says, you shouldn't have done that, which is showing his powers to someone, throws him across the room, and then that guy goes unconscious. So we have three unconscious people in the span of about 15 seconds.
0: Yeah. The tail of the tape. Uh, was being worked pretty hard in that in, in those moments. Nice scenes, good good throws. I, I, I was pretty pleased. I like that flash of anger that Clark showed when he saw Lana was hurt. Like, he didn't get yeah. there in time to save Lana, uh, per se. But uh, that little flash of anger, you don't always see that when he's dealing with folks. But I liked the fact that we got to see that in that moment.
1: So, again, he shows his powers to this person. This person is still alive as far as we know. So there's just a person in the world who knows Clark is at least super strong, but no explanation.
0: Well, I do think that he was under control from Moira. And since we know they lose time, the reality is he won't actually remember that. He will be sore as heck, but he would not remember what happened.
1: Yeah, you know what? You're cuz we even cuz even says that when Chloe's confronting him with the gun. He says the last thing I remember was running on the track. So you I completely missed that till just now. You're right. So he does lose his memory. So that would have been the answer. My question is Chloe currently under Moira's control or is this just straight Chloe trying to figure out what's going on? Cuz she doesn't cause I just found it really weird that she she convinces Clark to take Lana basically so she can be alone with this guy. And then she holds a gun on him. And it's only through happenstance that she realizes this guy was also under the control of her mother. And then she's like, oh, where did you escape from? So if he wasn't from the same place, was she just going to murder him? I don't don't know what her plan was supposed to be. And it was just coincidental that she actually got what she wanted from him.
0: I definitely think this was Chloe. I think she definitely wanted Clark not to be there because she knew – For the sake of her mother, she was prepared to do something that she didn't want Clark to stop her from doing. So how far she was willing to take that, hard to say. She didn't end up having to. This was that scene where I said, like, some of those real-world things, like, crept in. I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's the face she made during these moments, right? Mm. Because she got really hard really quick and it didn't look like a scared kid playing hard. This looked like somebody who had been through the shit. Pardon me, and was ready to go to a whole new level. And uh, I, I, I thought that that was definitely a plan. Clark, you got to take her. Right Not, let's get in the car and go. That's you got to take her. Meanwhile, I'll handle this. Why would Clark, for a moment, think right. that Chloe could handle? He has
1: superpowers. Super ed- if this guy got up? Yeah, what what is she gonna do? Yeah. It it again, it just doesn't make any sense. But it works out. Again, conveniences that the show lives on them. And that's how we end our second act. So if you don't mind will you read that third act summary, please.
0: In the third act, Lana is getting treated at a small medical center. Clark happens by and they talk. <laughs> happens by. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they talk. Yeah. So she tells him of the miscarriage. Clark tries to get her to tell him what happened on the day of the wedding. She won't go into those details. Lex confronts Moira and threatens Chloe. Clark and Chloe debrief before they they can head uh, towards the newly identified 33.1 facility. Moira commands Chloe to leave Smallville no matter what, and that includes Clark trying to stop her.
1: So we have that scene. Solana's at the hospital. So she's in a hospital bed. So ding, she goes to the hospital and she's in the hospital bed. Well, the good news is there's no sign of a concussion. Because of your recent miscarriage, I would like to run a few tests just to be safe. Thank you. Because that's kind of what she wanted anyways. Like, she wanted to be checked out by a doctor, and so she's now getting that way. But when the doctor leaves, that's when Clark just sort of like, hey, I heard what happened, and I'm here. But he asks, like, is the baby okay? So he asks her about that because he doesn't know, obviously, about the miscarriage. And that's when she then tells him and even says, you're the first person I've told. So, you know, again, I feel like we've already got so much from Lana. We knew this was going to be a hard conversation. She agreed to leave Lex at the altar, was going to go off with Clark. Then she was manipulated by Lionel to stay in the marriage, lying to keep Clark safe. And now she's confronted. And she's basically reliving all of Clark. Everything Clark had to do to her to keep his secret safe, she is now doing for his benefit. There is some irony here.
0: I think there absolutely is. And for all the vehemence and anger Lana had towards Clark when he was doing it. And she never knew why she always knew it was an important reason. She just couldn't accept that. Maybe he couldn't, he wouldn't tell her because it was important. She refused to accept that from him. And now she's doing it. And I, I, it's probably the one thing about the character that I've always disliked. You were so hard on him and now you're doing the same thing. And it feels a little easier than it should be for her to, to, to do so. Like, I, I want a little more hurt out of, I can't believe I'm doing this to you. By the same contrast, even though Clark should understand it, I want him to be a little hurt by, look, woman, you've been riding me for six years about keeping secrets from you, and now you won't tell me about this? We were going to leave together. What gives? Like I, I yeah. want him to be harder about it, right? And we don't really get that. But Interestingly enough, you know Lana's unconscious. You know Lana's hurt. You're running at super speed to carry her there. You know she's supposed to be pregnant. You don't check to see if the baby's okay yourself.
1: I don't. Maybe he doesn't want to X-ray her because of the radiation. Like I, I assume his X-ray works the same way as a as a machine. Maybe.
0: Uh, possibly, but then you don't want to just like listen for the extra heartbeat.
1: Someone else brought that up. Yeah, he he should be <laughs> able to hear the extra heartbeat by that point if he was if he yeah. wanted to.
0: Yeah, like, all along, he actually, who needs a test at the drugstore if your best friend is Clark Kent? He will tell you if you're pregnant.
2: Yeah,
1: it's true, (laughs) it's true. But again, we wouldn't have a show if he uses powers correctly all the time. Fair enough, fair enough. So one thing, is, it's not in in this episode at all, but it made me think of it, that in this situation where Lex has Lana basically trapped in this marriage, now he thinks it's because of... The pregnancy doesn't know that Lionel manipulated her beyond that. But Lex has what he wants. He has Lana in this relationship. He thinks they're going to be happy together. Let's say that things don't happen the way they do. And then in like a couple of years, they actually end up having a child together. Are we just seeing a repeat cycle of the same relationships that, that made Lex Lex? So you're going to have Lana, who probably will love her child, you're going to have Lex, who's trying to groom this child into being the next Luther successor. At some point, maybe does Lana die from natural causes or maybe some other thing, and then Lex has a child. And then, it, like, I feel like it's, it's not really commented on, but I do feel like this is the setup for another cycle of another Lex.
0: I think that's the theme of the show in general, right? Uh, the sons becoming the parents. You know, Clark has the choice of which parent he follows. And he ends up forging a path that's between Jor-El and Jonathan, right? To be Mm -hmm. Superman. He is neither all Jonathan nor all Jor-El, right? He's utilizing Jor-El's powers. He's taking um, uh, uh, the mantle that Jor-El has uh, laid out for him. But he's using Jonathan's responsibility, Jonathan's caring uh, to do so. Tempered with Martha's... uh, live a life, be a person, don't just be this job, right? So he's actually forging his own path through this, whereas Lex only has Lionel. His mother is long gone. There's no other path for him to follow. Every time he sought out somebody to be that mentor, he sought out Clark to lead him a different path for reasons that wasn't going to work. He sought out Jonathan to, he wanted him to be that mentor, and Jonathan, for all the great things he was, he's not the world's most open-minded person, and wasn't no. going to see there's a possibility for Lex. Clark yeah. saw that, but it went away at a certain point. So Lex didn't have any other paths. So I think the theme of the show is you are destined to be your parents unless you have other influences, and then you have the, which give you the ability to chart your own path. Like, right. So if you only have one influence, that's what you're going to be. If you have multiple influences, you're going to be some combination of that that you choose. And Lex only had one way to go, so he absolutely was going to recreate that Luther dynamic, which for all we know has gone on and on in perpetuity since the time of Alexander. <laughs> <You know? laughs> to throw, throw back to season one, right? right, um, right. Yeah, so I, I think that's exactly what they were setting up and they were trying to show
1: it made me think of it, so maybe, maybe that's a little bit more subtle than we normally get, but it worked on me. Yep. The, we then cut over, and we, we have the scene that we, you and I did for our cold open. This is where Lex confronts Moira about Lana being in the hospital, and he basically threatens Chloe if, if Moira doesn't play ball, right? So we already did the dialogue. It's a very short scene, but I liked it quite a lot, which is why I picked it. Um, but anything else you want to say about that before we move on?
0: Again, just a really well-acted scene. I really got the menace of Lex Luthor. And that's what Michael Rosebaum has always brought to the character. You get these moments, you're like, wow, he's going to be different. They're going to diverge from the comic books. So he's going to be a good person. He's going to do this. And then you get those moments, and you get them more and more and more as the seasons go on until he leaves the show, that they're just like... I, I don't know. Like, this is a season that when you get these moments, it's like, you know, season five, I'm like, we could probably bring him back from this. Like, I could see a path where the writers could write Lex out of being the bad guy. This is really the season where I don't think you write Lex out of being a bad guy. He doesn't come mm-hmm. back from any of this anymore. Like, we've we've crossed the Rubicon, and we are marching on Rome. Like, this is this is it. Like, we're here now. I thought that was a really nice microcosm of that very complex, drawn out, mm-hmm. uh, emotional ride that uh, Michael Roosevelt takes us on uh, throughout the show.
1: I I just want to mention that I love the way that Linda delivers the line. I just wanted you to suffer when, and Alexis is like, you know, she Chloe gets her brazenness from you and then he goes on to say that I've actually come to admire her. That's why I love that scene so much. There was so much just deliciousness in just like four or five lines. Yep. Lex actually admires Chloe, despite how meddlesome she is, that she probably does get some, because her, her, her dad in the show has basically been a middle manager at LexCorp, and then he basically was written out of the show. He doesn't really have a strong influence, so it's nice to see that, that they gave Chloe her personality, again, more from her mom, even though she left when she was very young. I just really liked all of that. I just like the line deliveries. I liked what it said about it, all the characters. It just, it added a lot for me in, in just four, basically four or five lines. It was so powerful.
0: And again, like the theme of the show really brings up that nurture versus nature yeah. discussion. It, the show doesn't a- actually answer that question definitively. And I'm glad that they don't because I don't think it's something that can be answered definitively. Because there's always arguments on both sides. And I thought it was a real nice addition to Mm -hmm. that discussion where you brought in another main character and that nurture versus nature is right there on display.
1: Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. So Clark and Chloe recap or they reconvene back at the Kent farmhouse. Uh, they were able to put some information together. Chloe mentions the old factory on Paper Mill Road, which is owned by Luther Corp, probably a 33.1 franchise, though I kind of wonder how Oliver missed that one. Anyway, Moira uses her power and tells Chloe, you got to get out of Smallville no matter what. You got to get out of here. Uh, So she starts to leave, and Clark stops her. So she kind of fakes coming out of the stupor that she has been in before, that lost time. And then she she says, Clark, can you go get some uh, water for me? And then she sneaks in and takes the kryptonite out of the hall closet, which we've we've had that reference many times before. But I kind of feel like maybe it should be a little harder to get to. Like maybe there should be like a safe, something that you have to, you can't just go get it out of the hall closet all willy-nilly, but of course, again, the show wouldn't work if we did, so she uses it uh, on Clark, and then she makes a run for it.
0: Yeah. You know, I have to say that it both strikes me as, why would you, and then of course you would. Why would you keep something like that around? Well, the answer is because if he ever went on, uh, if, if he ever went uh, you know off the charts you'd have a serious problem yep and that's pretty scary so i could see that happening again i'm thinking Brightburn, right yeah like you want to have something that can handle this this, this person but at the same time the conceit of the show is that kryptonite just weakens him it doesn't kill him uh and so i think that that's weird as a longtime fan of the comic books where it can kill him o- over time, like uh, uh, amazingly callous of Chloe to just leave him with that and hope he'll be okay. Like, yeah. uh, but again, I she was it.
1: being controlled and, and she knew that she couldn't get away otherwise. Like I, you know, this is definitely in, in Morris court for the reason why she did that.
0: Well, which also brings to mind how do Moira's powers work? Because if the person d- doesn't recall what they're doing, does Moira have access to their memories? Ooh, good or, point. or does the body work on muscle memory? So Chloe knew where this was, but why would Moira? Right. And what, why would Moira not know what, what Clark's powers are? She's got no frame of reference for Clark's powers. Right. So unless she's reading what people are seeing or doing or experiencing – why wouldn't she, why wouldn't Chloe just whack him with a uh, cast iron pan, thinking like I can get away from him? Yeah. Because Moira wouldn't know that. I think there's uh, again like a, a little bit of oddity there.
1: Yeah, I think it just basically her saying get out of town no matter what. So Chloe still has full facilities. She knows that Clark's going to stop her. So the only way to stop Clark is the kryptonite. So she made all those choices because the uh, the the command was so urgent. Like no matter what.
0: Ah, uh, so it's so, it's a it, it's the D and D dominate. But on, I don't actually see what's going on. Gotcha. Right, right, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah, yeah. gotcha. That makes more so sense. So, like,
1: like if Clark hadn't been there, then she would have just got in the car, but because he tried to stop her and used his superpowers to do so, she knew the only way around that was to was to stop him, or, yeah, was to put him in, in his place, I guess. So, all right, let's go into our fourth act here. So, Chloe is finally reunited with her mother, who then shares the real reason she committed herself all those years ago. Martha comes home and finds Clark and gets the kryptonite away from him. Moira and Chloe utilize her powers, that's Moira's, to enact an escape plan, but Moira is recaptured. Chloe shoots a gas canister at Lex's face, but he is saved, reluctantly, by Clark. (laughs) So, okay, so again, we've had Lex, he's the master manipulator. He knows everything, he sees all the angles, he has all the plans. Then we see him be outwitted by someone who's only been lucid for less than 24 hours, and now... Are we to believe that his plan was, I'm going to threaten Chloe. I know Mora will react to that and tell Chloe she has to leave town, not go hide, but leave town. And then I'm going to monitor every road in and out of Smallville until Mora, Chloe is captured by my guys pretending to be construction workers. Like, is Are we supposed to believe that that was the plan Lex had? Because that's yeah. the only thing that makes sense. Yep. Yep. Or he had Chloe being tailed the entire time, and Clark
0: magically didn't realize somebody was following him. I, I
1: guess. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, but it,
0: come if on. you got that kind of money, I guess you could hire uh, goons and henchmen who are also quick-change artists. Because what if they went into
1: a malt shop? <laughs> 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 it is so weird. So, I, So it, it works, though. Uh, so we have Chloe going unconscious because she gets stabbed in the neck with the sedative. So she goes unconscious. So that's another one for yeah. the for the tally here. Uh, but then she wakes up and she's in the same cell or the same room as her mother. They have a, 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 a big hug reunion. And then we learned that, again, the, the, the medicine that Lex gave her brought her out of the catatonic, cat, catatonic state, but that her using her power might cause it to go back and that you know it's temporary, that kind of thing. But from from just a humanistic point of view, this is a really big deal because because Chloe has not spoken to her mother since the time we saw in the cold open because she 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 learned of her existence. She learned where she was and she's visited her. But in in all those visits, Moira was catatonic. So this is the first time they've spoken to each other since she was, what, nine years old, six years old. This is a big freaking deal. It's huge.
0: If anybody has ever been separated from a family member for whatever reason, uh, good, bad, or indifferent superheroes, uh, alien invasion, whatever the case may be, and that lasts for years, especially when you are separated from a family member at a very young and impressionable age, those moments when you first are reconnected are powerful, like really powerful. They are almost not worthy of television because they're actually long moments of a lack of words. <laughs> it's emotion. It's on your face. It's in the sound of the way you breathe and the strength and the way you embrace. And uh, it is something that I uh, distinctly remember when I first saw the episode, and I and, and as I rewatched today, um, when I watched this episode. So this was. 2006 because we're talking season six this would have been three years after i had first reunited with my father whom i had only been seen in pictures with when i was two and a half years old i would spent most of my adult life trying to reconnect with him uh unsuccessfully getting a hold of him and then in 2003 finally uh made the connection with another family member who got me connected with my dad. Uh, And it all happened very fast. Like I found a connect, made a phone call one morning. I came home from work that afternoon and I was on a phone call with one of my aunts. I was talking with my dad on the phone the next day. And you know I found out I had two sisters that I I never grew up with Mm -hmm. and didn't know. Talked about a week later, I talked with my sisters for the very first time. You know, uh, started talking with, with all my father's family. So at watching this, I really felt that. But specifically, that was in February when all that happened. That summer, uh, July-ish, I think, or it might have been June, Had the, my dad was back in the U.S. He was at a conference at, uh, in, in Boston uh, at Harvard. And so I drove down from Maine. Stayed with a cousin of mine who I again just part of that reconnection. Had a cousin who lived in Nashua, <laughs> at, at New Hampshire, right? So uh, stayed with them for about a week, and it got to go meet my dad. And I remember just what it was like hearing his voice, uh, a voice that was very familiar because we sound a lot alike, uh, but very different because I'd never heard that voice come from anybody other than me. Right, right, and right. all yeah. those things. So it's like wow, this episode really hit on those levels for me.
1: Yeah. So I have and it, probably more so with the, the end situation. Um, it's been several years ago now, I think going on 10 years, I lost my mother, uh, very sudden, very unexpected. It wasn't just here one day, gone the next. And it, it honestly, it broke me I It, I went to therapy. I was like depressed. Like it, it was really, really bad for a long time. Cause it was, it hit me so suddenly, uh, and so, I, I, you know, I, there's enough distance now that I don't get too emotional. I still get emotional at times. But the idea of, like, having one more day, just one more day with her, just it's hard for me not to think about that, like, yeah. in this episode. Like, at the end, it's very emotional. You know, Chloe thinks she's got her mother back in her life for good, you know, until, until the natural end of things, right? But then to find out, actually, no, it's, it's only a few hours, really, maybe even you know, a few moments left. But she still had some more time when she didn't think she would ever have that time again. So that, hit even now, hits me really, really hard. Yeah. All right. So, Moira and Chloe talk, and we finally get the true story of why she committed herself to begin with is that she basically used her powers to make Chloe do something that ended up causing Chloe to hurt herself. Um, I've seen the same thing used in media multiple times. Uh, Umbrella Academy, there's a similar storyline. I think there's some, a couple others. I can't remember the specifics, but I'm, I'm very familiar with the, I think even Legion, I guess, uh, that talks about that yeah. where you inadvertently use a power and cause pain to someone else because you don't know what you're doing or, you know, that, that type of thing. I do think it's a little bit weird, though, that they specifically say that that's why she did it. But it was basically a year between when she did that and when she committed herself. So was there other incidents in the middle that weren't so severe? Or was it her struggle with not doing it that just wore her down mentally that she's like, okay, I can't not do this. I need to put because I almost wish it had been closer together. And like when Chloe came home with the newspaper, like we could have seen like bandages on her hands. Like it was, it was fresh and new, but it's basically the way it's explained. It's about an, about a year's time between the incident that Morris said was the last straw and the time we see her committing herself.
0: It's hard when the last straw took you a year to actually act on. Like that's a weird, the last straw is literally supposed to be this happened. And then I acted. Yeah. Not this happened. And I hemmed and hawed and thought about it and plotted and, you know, ruminated, uh, you know, talked to my therapist, uh, you know, uh, did some meditation, um, you know, did some Pilates and then decided to make a <laughs> make a decision. So I thought I always thought that was kind of odd. Um, and I've yeah, you know, like you said, there's it, it's in media a lot. Uh, I actually really like the hand washing uh, as as kind of a thing. It really brought to mind um, scenes of uh, DiCaprio in The Aviator. When he is in that um, bathroom scene where he's at dinner with H- Catherine Hepburn as as Howard Hughes, and he goes in the bathroom and he just can't get his hands quite clean, and he starts rubbing his hands raw. And then he gets a little spot on his shirt, and next thing you know, his whole shirt's soaking wet because he can't ever make it just right. And it really shows that um, that manic uh, control that's part of that obsession and part of that mm. that that mental disorder. I like to think that it's the trying not to do it that makes it difficult, and I think of the, um, I think of the scenes uh, from Jessica Jones where, da- where David Tennant says to her, "Goes, how am I supposed to know if people are doing it because of my power or not?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I just do. Th- if I go to a place and could I have a donut, please? You know." How do I know if they're doing the donut because my power activated or because they just want to give me a donut? Like, And if you think about it on that level, it's what makes that character so scary. He can't tell. And if he can't tell, what's he supposed to do?
1: Right. So just use it all the time and don't worry about it.
0: Yeah. And that was his choice. And so I really took that. And and obviously when I first watched it, Jessica Jones hadn't been made yet. So, uh, you know, it was one, again, one of those things on rewatch, I have a little more context for that kind of ability. And I'm like, okay, so now that I think about it, it makes more sense. Like, it might not have been just about her. Maybe that's where she started distancing herself from the child, right? But maybe it was she found herself doing this more often. If Smallville's filled with all kinds of people that have these things, maybe it was, would you just get away from me and have somebody run across the street and get hit by a car? Or, 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 you know, just shut up, and then a person never speaks again. You know? All these little things, until they get knocked unconscious or fall asleep or something like that. All these little things... Uh, would probably be happening for her in Smallville. Maybe there's a, a, a back and forth with it. Like maybe every time she does it, it it, it does something to her, and we just are seeing a collective a degrading effect. Right. I mean, it could have been explained better. Right. I think the bandages on the fingers, there's a number of ways they could have talked about how it was just getting too hard. I, I couldn't walk down the street without a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe she moved away from Smallville to make it better. And, right. and then it happened with Chloe and she's like, I can't get away from this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, I think it works well enough because we, we can kind of infer or think about some of these questions, but I do think it would have been nice to have a little more text about it. I think that would have solidified it a little bit better. Yeah, But Chloe's like, Hey, are any of these other superpowered people in here have powers that could help get us free? Uh, as she kind of comes up with a plan. We cut back to the farm. This is where Martha comes home. And I'm counting Clark is going unconscious because it seems like he is actually unconscious when she removes the kryptonite from him. So we have another Clark unconscious. I think we're up to like seven already. I don't know. It's like Lex, Chloe, security guard, Lana, Lowell. Yeah, I think that's six so far. And there's, there's more coming, folks. So this is where we see Lowell being escorted by some of the security. And Chloe pulls basically a get help which should never work outside of a D and D game. If, if you were a security guard inside a facility that is monitoring and let's be honest, like controlling and, in and, and housing superpower people and someone goes, Hey, get help. My mother's unconscious. You do, you do not open the door and go in there. Like that's, that's like rule number one, orientation day. Number one, never go into a room with a superpowered person. If they say, I don't feel yeah.
0: well. Absolutely. I mean, have we learned nothing from Sarah Connor? Have we learned nothing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it works though, and so we have Lowell. He takes out yeah. two more security guards. So he knocked. I, I'm they're probably dead, but I'm going to count them as unconscious. And then they they run away. Lowell gets knocked unconscious because somebody shoots a trank dart into his neck. So then Chloe and Moira both get captured by a security guard. Moira uses her power one more time and tells Chloe, get away. So Chloe then breaks bad and knocks her security guard unconscious. But Moira appears to go unconscious as she stops fighting and is being drug away. So we were yeah. already at seven. Now we're at nine, ten, eleven. I think we're up to twelve now. But the last thing we see is, is Chloe has this, like, gas canister gun. And she shoots it straight at Lex's face. I mean, it's like straight onto his head. And then Clark arrives. And it, there's, I love the reluctance on his face. Because there was a moment where he thought about just letting that gas canister do its business. But then he's like, he resigns himself. He pushes Lex out of the way. But Lex doesn't go unconscious here. But when he looks up, Chloe's gone. So he didn't see Clark. He didn't see Chloe disappear. He just knew he was about to get shot in the face and then... Chloe's gone, and that's how we end the act. It's actually pretty short, but there's a lot of action in it, which I think is fun.
0: I actually, so I thought uh, when I was watching that Lex went unconscious.
1: I thought he did too. I went back and double-checked, and it it doesn't look to me like he does because he actually looks up and sees the empty hallway, and that's where we cut.
0: You know what? You're right. So my earlier statement about uh, Lex doing double duty, I was wrong. That was actually where I, Mm. I, I, that's where that came from.
1: I mean, there's there's so many. We could probably count him twice, and I mean, like statistically, it's not going to affect the numbers because there's so many this episode. (laughs) But technically speaking, I don't think he goes unconscious. Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. In the interest of accuracy, we're we're, we're going to because we
1: are nothing on Farm to Fable if not interested in the accuracy of our scoreboard. (laughs) All right, let's jump into our fifth act here and let's wrap things up.
0: Yeah, Moira is slipping back into her catatonic state, but. And she does not want to avoid it. She's worried. She's too dangerous. Chloe is ready to go scorched earth against Lex, exposing him. But he makes a threat that she can't ignore. Lana learns the truth. Clark told Moira all about Chloe before she faded away. Clark realizes that he
1: and Lex are on a path to war. So I generally, generally like this episode. It's not my favorite I think there's some muddiness into it. But there, like, as you said earlier, there's some really good moments. There's individual scenes. There's some individual choices that the actors make. There's some really good lines that are delivered well. This fifth act is infuriating for me because it's just nonsense on top of nonsense. <laughs> and it bothers me that it could have... If it, if it had landed solidly, I think this could have been a really good episode. But this fifth act, I just think it's nonsense. So Clark lets Chloe go to Subway knowing that her mom is slipping into a catatonic state takes the time to tell her all about Chloe rather than zipping over and picking her up and saying, Hey, Chloe, get back here. Your mom's going back into her state. Like he could have went and got Chloe within a matter of seconds, no matter where she was on the planet. Yeah. But instead he lets her, she goes, I went and got sandwiches. No, Clark, you get her back there yeah. now.
2: Yeah.
0: And the fact that Chloe's not angry at him for not doing that. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's silly. Because we don't get the scene here where he tells her, I told her all about you. We get that later. But in that moment, she should have been furious that Clark didn't get her, call her, come literally come and get her. And instead, just like he had a, had a two-hour debrief. Great, Clark, except you could have had Chloe there. Yeah. It's nonsense. It's complete nonsense.
0: At this point in uh, his life, he's lost his dad. Mm-hmm. Clark, would you have liked it if Chloe was there holding your dad in his final moments and it wasn't you and your mom? Would that have been okay?
1: Yeah. Get off your duff, Superman. Go handle some stuff. And, <laughs> and if he was having a heart attack for an hour yeah. and you you could have called me in that hour and I could have been there within the seconds and had at that hour, that hour of time. That I thought I had is gone. Like it is just nonsense. Though I will say, I think Linda's acting here is she she likes picks up some like vocal mannerisms as she's trying to like basically show her slipping mind. I'll make no. it deal with him. No deal with that man. I can't allow it. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but I thought it it represented what the show tells me she's going through. I thought that was very well done. At
0: the very least, like you said, it's representative of what we want of what we expect her to be going through. And I thought that that was really good. Uh, I thought it was interesting choices. Uh, It didn't feel, oh, and I fade away. It, it, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it it felt realistic, even if it wasn't real, Uh, you know, and and so there's that, you know, Um, you know, when, when my mom passed, I was with her that day, actually just like two hour, an hour and a half before she passed. But you know, our visit was over. She was very tired. She was not very communicative that day. She recognized that we were there. You know, you know, my son had been with her the week before uh, to say his goodbyes. My wife and I were there. Uh, you know, I got to kiss my mom on the cheek, and I got to hold her hand. And then we went to the grocery store. I told her I would be back the next, you know, next week because we visited weekly. On occasion, if I could, I would go twice a week, but generally it's every Saturday or Sunday we would go by and, um, you know, bring her her uh, uh, Werther's uh, caramels. She loved those. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we went to the store to do our grocery shopping to head home and I and and I made sure I picked up two bags of Werther's caramels so I'd have them for the next week while we were walking out of the store to the car got the call from my mother's nursing home to tell me that she had passed. And we, we were, mm. we were literally 20 minutes, not even we were like five minutes away. We were in the same town, which is not the town we right. lived in. We lived a half hour away at that, at that point. So, and we drove back at that point, but um, I remember that greatly. And, and like you said, um, I have no idea if it's accurate but it felt accurate enough where it moved me in those moments. Yeah. And it was one of those things where despite the absurdity of this act, the moments were some of them. That moment was actually very good. Right.
1: Now, again, I completely agree. I think the setup here is, is nonsense, but that individual moment is actually really, really powerful. And then we get another nonsense moment. So we go to the Daily Planet and Chloe's like, I'm going to write an article. I don't care. I'm going to expose you to the world. And Lex is like, well, it's not going to matter because no one's ever going to see it because I have all this evidence of this, this, and this. And if you you release it, I'm going to put you in prison. She's like, you know what? Bet. Let's do it. Okay. Then he goes, well. You know, I thought you might say that.
2: That's why there's a plan B firmly in place. Plan that makes prison look like a picnic,
1: and then he just leaves. What is the plan? Be like that is the worst <laughs> threat. That is like he's so full of shit. No, pardon my French. He has nothing. He's lying, and Chloe falls for it. The other night, we told the story about how I am bad at
0: poker, like terrible at okay. it, terrible, and so bad. My comment was everybody who plays poker always invites me. Like, I am the most wanted mm. poker player on planet Earth because I'm that bad. And I can tell you that I saw that and chuckled because I'm like, man, I got to learn from this guy how to play poker because he won. He got it right. I mean, he yeah. had, he, he had nothing. This is King Henry at Hafler. My people are done. We can't win this fight. Dude, you better give up, or we're gonna get really angry. And the and the governor of is like, Almighty oh, King, we surrender.
2: <laughs> you know, like,
0: it's like this. Is, it's Shakespearean. Sometimes you're Henry, and sometimes you're the governor of Halfler. And today, F- Chloe was the governor of Halfler.
1: <laughs> I was so angry at Chloe for just being like, well, I can't release it because this nebulous thing that's awful could possibly happen to me. Like, she is so angry in this moment. She just lost her mom, essentially. And I think she would be so angry that she would have to have some concrete evidence of what this threat is and not just, well, it'll make prison seem like a picnic. There's no way that works for her. That That is dumb. It's terrible writing, and I hate it.
0: Worse than that, at what point are you angry enough at a loss of that nature that who cares what happens to me? Right. Exactly. That like, she's there. Like, okay. Okay. If prison's going to be a, if prison's going to be a picnic, then I guess I'm having dinner today, baby. I'm ready to go. You know, yeah. that. maybe that's why Lex Luthor has never threatened me. Cause he has no idea how well I'm ready to dine. But <laughs> I just, I just really don't get it. It, it It was, to quote a good friend, utter nonsense.
1: (laughs) Nonsense. Now, later in the show, we learn that the Luthers buy the Daily Planet. Yeah. Like, that's when that should have happened. He should have said, oh, by the way, like, he pulls out his phone and goes, well, turns out your editor-in-chief is going to kill it. Well, who's that? Me. Me. Or, you know, something like I just I just bought the Daily Planet. You're fired. Yeah, that would have been awesome. But this nonsense plan B crap is terrible.
0: Yeah, like honestly, what, you know, having somebody walk in, not Perry White, but have somebody walk in and uh, like, she's like, well, it'll never see print Uh, that I can guarantee you. And further, you're going to have big problems if you try to do it and then have her sit down and say, well, Lex, I'm about to hit send. And she hits the button, and then the the office door, the editor comes out. Comes out. And he takes the old placard down, puts a new placard up, and he says, "Miss Sullivan, uh, I'm afraid your time here at the planet is done." And hands her a pink slip, like literally a physical right. pink slip. And and that and then the episode closes. Power that works. Power. Power. You know. And it. But uh uh nuh-uh. I got bigger stuff.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> like just, my my kids watch those um those shows where they do the oh pitch pitch meetings yeah and they're always like well that sounds really difficult barely an inconvenience like <laughs> yeah it's essentially like so Lex is going to convince her not to print the article that seems like it'd be really hard barely an inconvenience he just threatens her and it yep, moves on yep, yep. so so dumb so then we get this scene at the hospital I love the scene for what it does and I love the scene for how it ends. But that doctor is an a-hole and so unprofessional. Like, you have a lady in your, in your ER or your, your hospital who was knocked unconscious, and you're just going to start accusing her of being a gold digger and saying you used synthetic hormones. To, like, you don't even ask some questions. Like it, just, it was so awful the way he treated her. But I love the way it ends when she's like,
2: I don't understand. I saw the sonograms. I saw my baby. I don't know whose baby you saw, but I can assure you it wasn't yours.
1: (laughs) I was never pregnant. And that should have been the end of the episode. Like, I don't... I didn't want this other scene with Clark and Chloe. I think it should have been blended into the one above yeah. where he says, I, I already told her all about you this last, you know, last hour. I shared all that. And the last thing in the episode should have been her going, I was never pregnant. But this other scene with Clark and Chloe where he's like me and Lex are on a path to, I it just, it's so melodramatic. It's just nonsense.
0: Well, I think it does some weird tone shifts and it, the bifurcated nature of the episode. I think Lana's story either needed to be an episode with everybody else ancillary entirely, or this story needed to be its own thing without the Lana piece or what have mm. you. Like they just needed to do this episode and just not have Kirsten. She needed to have a week off. Right. Yeah. Uh, use some stock footage if you had to have her in a scene, but so she keeps her place on the placard, it gets, gets her scale or whatever she was making for the episode. And that's not a dig on Kirsten in any way, shape, or form. She's amazing, but it didn't make sense to have these two stories in one episode. And I think that's where I have—I think they were both good stories, but trying to flip between the two created weird tone shifts that weren't in sync. Like I'm—they were both really deep, personal, familial drama things, but they mm-hmm. weren't allegories or analogs of each other what was going on with chloe and her mom seen through the eyes of clark and lex has nothing to do with whether or not i am having a baby or not or the mystery Mm -hmm. of have i been being duped this whole time now what do i do that needed to be very separate and trying to squeeze those into one episode i think is probably why the episode uh falls a little flat despite having some of the really some really really good and strong moments it, it falls a little flat because it just doesn't make sense that fifth act if you had either done just a lot of stuff could have ended well to ha- have her story tale end there and you could have left it when we found out that Chloe's mother faded and not have any of the Daily Planet stuff or if you took the Lana stuff out and then you just had her Daily Planet stuff and this war thing following it Like Chloe runs back to her house uh, to Clark. Clark, I just got fired from the Daily Planet, and then they do the rest of the scene. Now that hits better. It's because what do you put first? What's more important? You had two things competing for. This is how you close an episode, and they ended up not using either of them, and then adding something else because they couldn't close either one without and have the other one follow it.
1: Yeah, I, I actually, I use like almost the same terminology the last couple episodes where I felt like they had two good halves of a story, but then they, rather than separate them into two different episodes, they put them together and they seem to be doing that again, where they're just adding a little bit of the Lex Lana stuff on top of like sprinkling it onto a couple different episodes. And it would have been better if it had been like its own, just, let's just, let's just deal with Lana and Lex for a while. Let's yeah. just deal with Chloe and Clark for a while, but trying to mix them together, it, it just it does did, not work. Yeah. Yeah. I hate this fifth act. It's terrible.
0: Yeah. If they had done like a Lex episode and then, uh, uh, Chloe Clark episode, and then a Lana Lex episode and a Chloe Clark episode, this season could have been one of the strongest se- use the exact same stories. In many cases, right. the exact same scenes, it literally comes down to an editing choice as to how to order those scenes and where they fit. And you could have had one of the better seasons of the show, with what you actually have, just organize it differently.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. So we're already kind of touching on it. So let's just jump into the final thoughts on the episode. Uh, I mean, you can circle back if there's something we missed. You want to talk more about something in the earlier act, but if not, then let's just jump into your final thoughts on the episode.
0: Yeah, like I said uh, at, at at the outset, my final th- uh, i this rewatch was better with a, better today than when I first watched it with some more experience under my belt, uh, not remembering the episode, so it's not like I, I saw something I didn't see before. I couldn't I couldn't tell you if I saw something this last watch that I didn't see before. I, I My first watch was so long ago uh, that I, I wouldn't remember that, right? What I can tell you is it hit a lot harder, and better. I think maybe they were writing for an audience that I was not a member of, or a a, a demographic I was not a member of at the time. Oddly, I don't think the age group that the show was for was that demographic either. Uh, I Mm. think that was written for uh, persons of vintage disposition, you and I, not the 20-somethings or the late teens that the show was designed for. So I think it was a bit of a standout and an oddity on the CW in general, that type of episode. Uh, I think it showcased the actors well, uh, but it was out of sorts for Smallville, so it's a weird one in that regard. Uh, Again, despite the fact it had some really nice moments and moved the core plot of the season, the Lana thing, along Uh, pretty Mm -hmm. well. It's a pivotal scene, for the season, this is an important episode for the season, uh, and a, an amazing showcase for Linda Carter, um, who came back to us in Supergirl years later uh, for a couple, of, uh, more than a couple episodes, and then came back to us again. Even though the movie was not great, it was awesome seeing her uh, in One Woman 1984. Yep. To, to see her on film again, if she it, honestly, if Linda Carter wants to do your show, shut your hole put her in the damn show. But uh, good, but challenging episode from a narrative standpoint.
1: I've said this many times. I didn't care for this episode, but there are individual moments and elements that were very good. I think Linda Carter was amazing in this episode. I think some of the individual lines and moments were great, but as a whole, it didn't hold together. And really at the end of the day, The only thing that happens in this episode that really matters was Lana found out about the fake pregnancy. Like, that's the only thing. Like, Lex and Clark already didn't like each other. Chloe already didn't like Lex. Like, nothing really new was presented. I think the mention of the Aries project, because that's going to come up important at the end of the season. But really, this whole episode could have just been Lana finding out she wasn't pregnant. And that's all that really matters And which is why it should have been the end of the episode. So for me, this is like a mid-tier, five out of ten at best, but with some individual moments that are eights, nines, maybe even tens.
0: I love the I love that numbering system. The episode five, some of the individual moments eight, nines, and tens. I think that's a perfect description of this of this episode.
1: All right, Man versus Superman. As you know, uh, we like to look at the, all these episodes through that lens because that's what the creators were going for. Basically, the show is about Clark's struggle of wanting to do all the normal things that normal people do, having a normal life, but he can't because he has the, the heritage of being a Kryptonian and the destiny to become Superman. So was there anything about this episode that kind of stood out to you in that term or through that lens?
0: I really think that they dodged it on this one. I don't think they hit the core tenet, and I think that's part of why it falls flat. They didn't address that issue at all in this episode. They really tried to do something else. And that's fine. But then you take the main character out of it. If you're going to do a bottle episode, get the main character out of it and do a bottle episode. So they needed to take this core premise, figure out how that fits into the Chloe uh, and her mother storyline and do an episode on that. And then have a bottle episode about Lex and Lana.
1: I agree. I don't think this episode touches it at all that I can really see. Like sometimes in these episodes, like I ask myself, well, is Chloe then trying to be the man versus Superman because she wants her mom? But it really doesn't. I mean, you could argue the meteor infected is why she loses her mom, but it's. It's just not clear. It's not clean. And I just, I think this episode, and like I said, it's totally fine. Every episode doesn't need to necessarily be about this because we need, especially got Linda Carter, highlight her. But I think the man versus Superman is just a complete whiff this episode, but I haven't done a call to action, so I'll do it here. If anybody's listening, if you think there is a man versus Superman element that I am not seeing, I'd love to hear from you about it.
0: Yeah, and definitely get hold of Michael, uh, tag me on the socials as well, because I would love to see it because I will gladly put it back on and give it another look so I can see it, too, because with probably three or four watches over time with this one, I've never seen that in this episode, which doesn't mean it's not there. I am far right. from perfection. So I'd be I'd love to have that discussion and welcome your comments.
1: Same. So you can email the show, obviously, at, Smallville at smallvillefancast at gmail.com, and then you can hit us on the socials. And when the episode comes out, I'll tag Lee Winick as well. All right, so that brings us to our pass the torch question. What question would you like me to ask next week's co-host? If you were to have a panel of the characters,
0: but you couldn't have the main, the main cast, who, in all ten seasons of of, of uh, the Smallville show, which characters would you have do a panel discussion at a catacon twenty twenty five?
1: Wanika, again, thank you so much for being here. Again, appreciate your flexibility. I canceled this on you like three times. So you just, you were very kind about that. Uh, but where can people find you? Where can they find the projects you're part of? Where should they find you online? Where would you send people? Plug, 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 sir.
0: Honestly, the absolute easiest way to find me would be through uh, my podcast uh, or the podcast I'm a part of, which is Tabletop Journeys. You can go to our website, which is www tabletopjourneys.com Our contact us. We'll have our link tree and all of the other socials. We are on Facebook. Uh, we are also on most of our socials as TT Journeys. Uh, I think uh, to include Blue Sky, uh, you can even go to us uh, at patreon.com slash TT Journeys as well, um, where people can support the show, help us put out great contact content, including how-to videos, fantastic interviews with great uh, creators, and actual plays of various games beyond D&D. We do other games as well, uh, but we have a great time. We love the community, and we love uh, reaching out and having conversations with folks.
1: All right, and as for myself, of course, you can find me. Most of what I do is at the RPG Academy, but this show, Farm to Fable, has its own Blue Sky, it's on Facebook, the email, smallvillefancast at gmail.com. We do have a Twitter, but as I've said before, I'm actively looking. I'm probably, unless something changes drastically in the next couple months, going to be canceling all my Twitter accounts. I'm moving just to Blue Sky on Facebook. Um, but I'd love to hear from you. I, I continue to get emails from people. I'm, I'm working those into the bonus episodes that I'm having. Um, I'm continuing to love doing the show. I still, I, I have a bunch of co-hosts, but I'm always on the on the look for new co-hosts, so if you're listening and you think you would make a fun co-host and you have the way to capture at least good audio, if not great audio, send me an email, let's chat, and I'll, maybe I'll get you on for Season 7. Uh, and then, of course, just remember to stay after the end credits for the scoreboard. Farm to Fable is a Smallville rewatch fancast and is not officially affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Television, the CW network, or any other owners of Smallville, and or its related source materials. As such, these companies retain sole ownership of all symbols, images, names, logos, and other proprietary material related to Smallville. Our use of logos, images, names, likenesses, and sound clips are being used under the fair use guidelines. Our logo was created by Michael Waldschlager II. You can find Michael on Twitter at LoserMLW. Farm to Fable is written, edited, and produced by me, Michael Ross, with additional input by weekly co-hosts as credited in each episode's show notes. And now, let's check the scoreboard. So, total numbers of vehicles wrecked. We're now at 100, because I am counting Lexus car being ran off the road, because it did kind of stall. It was still there the next day, so apparently it wasn't drivable after this happened. Whew, the big one here. The total number of times a person has been knocked unconscious. So we're now at 364 with an asterisk. So first of all, we have Lex being clubbed by a mind-controlled Chloe and was knocked out. Then a nameless security guard that was thrown through the door by Lowell, uh, or not Lowell, by the, the nameless meteor infected after he was going for Lex, but he found Lana. Lana was then knocked unconscious by that same nameless meteor infected as well. Then... Clark shows up and knocks that person out because they knocked out Lana. Um, We have Chloe going unconscious when she's sedated by some Luther court men dressed as road construction crew. Martha finds Clark unconscious due to the continued exposure of green kryptonite that Chloe used to get away from him when she tried to flee Smallville because of more of his commands. We have two nameless 33.1 security guards who are knocked out by Lowell who was under the command of Moira when she and Chloe got free. Later, Lowell is knocked out by a Trank dart from a different 33.1 security guard. Chloe, under the command of Moira to get out no matter what, manages to knock out a different 33.1 security guard herself, but Moira appears to go unconscious, I assume from an overtaxation of using her power so many times. <sighs> <sighs> And the asterisk is for all the people that Clark knocked out when he was being uh, a vigilante in Smallville or in Metropolis and we have a don't have a count for that but it was apparently a lot. Okay, so looking at our main cast, that means Lana has now been knocked unconscious 38 times. Lex has been knocked unconscious 37 times. Clark has now been knocked unconscious 27 times and Chloe has now been knocked unconscious 21 times. Lois is still at 14, Martha is still at 13, Lionel is still at five, and Jimmy and Oliver are both still at one. Total number of times someone goes to the hospital, we are at 131 with Lana being taken there by Clark after she was knocked out by that nameless meteor infected, and then then Clark takes her there. So Lana has been to the hospital 18 times, Chloe and Lex have both been there nine, Lionel six, Martha five, lois five clark four and jimmy olsen just the one and so the total number of times clark tells her show someone other than his forever crushed lana or the destined love of his life lois lane his powers and abilities we are now at 154 with three asterisks and those asterisks are the small military everyone in smallville everyone in metropolis